Yeah, it's sports talk from the three bros. Something you can bet on like Pete Rose. And you better not miss it like some free throws. Giving taste is more accurate than Drew Brees throws. And it might get explosive like some C4. We just giving you a look inside the peephole. So if you got a weak take, you better keep those. Or get your cheeks swole when you step into the ring with the Amiibros. What's up, what's up, what's up? It's your boy, 85, from the Amiibros podcast. Coming to you live from the dungeon, from the basement, from the man cave. Let's get into a couple topics. Obviously, it's been a while since I've done the uh, the 85 weekend picks. Uh, this week, we're, we're off on the actual podcast, so uh, we'll be back next week. Um, but I had some thoughts, some things that I wanted to get off my chest, some things I've been observing that I think will be very, very good topics to talk about today. So let's kick it off with the obvious topic. Who's the MVP of the NBA? A lot of people are saying it's Giannis. A lot of people are saying it's LeBron. Stats argument would probably tell you it's it's Giannis in the sense that he's had the highest PER in the history of the league. Um, if you look at some of the more advanced analytics the from the value standpoint, um, the Lakers are the drop-off when LeBron's not on the floor compared to the Milwaukee's drop-off when Giannis isn't on the floor. It's, it's a lot greater with the Lakers and LeBron. So that, that goes to valuable but let's like let's get into like a reality check of like the argument all right so look Giannis in my opinion should be the MVP as of right now um Giannis is averaging 30 points I believe 14 rebounds six assists um LeBron is averaging around 26 points um because he's not shooting as many shots so 80 is actually leading the team in scoring because LeBron's kind of taking a step back on the amount of shots he's taking uh he's averaging he's leading the NBA in assists with 10.7 um, he's averaging around six or seven rebounds a game. Um, and so these are the two main candidates. I also think you should probably throw in Chris Paul because um, there's no reason OKC is, is ranked as high as they are um, in the Western Conference standings because reality, I mean, I, we knew that they gave up a lot for Paul George, but that team was not expected to be this good. And they're literally on the toes of, like, getting a bye first round in the West, which is ridiculous. Uh, they've had a couple of bad losses here, but you know, we'll get into that. But anyway, this is why I want to talk about the argument. I'm hearing, you know, Charles Barkley today was on Dan Levitard, and he's like, this is this shouldn't even be an argument. It shouldn't be close. It's Giannis, and LeBron shouldn't be in the conversation. And I think this is what we get into, which annoys me, um, that we never got into with Jordan, and, and we, except when it comes to the LeBron argument. Let me let me explain. Um could you make the argument that Giannis is the best player in the league? Sure. I said that on the podcast. I thought Giannis is the best player in the league uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Giannis is playing at an unbelievable level. Uh, he's got to do it in the playoffs. But in the regular season, we can look at it and say, all right, Giannis is playing at such a superb level. But I think the, the argument that's being made right now is laughable. It's because they're like, oh, well, he's doing that, but he has no AD on his team. But they're ignoring the fact that Outside of, okay, Chris Middleton's an all-star. He's a good number two. He's not AD. All right. Who's the Lakers' number three? Kuzma? How good has he looked? Danny Green, maybe? Uh, you look at that. T- I mean, the Lakers have some depth with players at the center position. I like Dwight Howard coming off the, the bench. I like the pick of Markeith Morris. But, like, they don't have, like, this, like, super, super deep roster with, like, guys that you're like, oh, go get me a bucket. That's why when LeBron comes off the floor – Typically, they struggle because there's nobody else that really can get their own shot. 
AD can get it to an extent, but uh, you know when AD doesn't have LeBron to help space the floor, um, and they have Rondo on the floor, they just double AD because they're like, all right, Rondo's not going to shoot. If he does, we don't really trust his ability to be able to make long, long jump shots. So we can look at it and say, all right, look at the rosters after the the second player on their team. So if Giannis and LeBron cancel each other out, AD is better than Chris Middleton, obviously. Eric Bledsoe is probably better than number three. Brooke Lopez is probably better than the number four. You start going down the list of players. Marvin Williams is a, a, a probably better player than Marquise Morris. Like, you start going through the list of Kyle Korver and George Hill and DiVincenzo. And, like, by the time you get to, like, 10 deep, you realize you still got good players in the roster. You're still – Pat Connaughton is, like, the 10th player on the team. Pat Connaughton shoots threes extremely well and is super athletic enough to be in the slam dunk contest. Like, they're – and then we're going to throw in the fact that as much as I think, like, okay, Giannis is a spectacular talent. I can't, you can't take anything away from Giannis and the player that he is. Let's be 100% honest. Or Giannis. No, it's bad, bad joke. Anyway, uh, that team changed when Mike Budenholzer got there. They were the eighth seed the year before. They had a losing record. Budenholzer got there, changed the way they ran the offense, and all of a sudden, now you got Giannis, who's putting up superstar, superhuman, best of all time type numbers. Um, let's let's look at the reality of the situation. I saw Budenhoser take the Atlanta Hawks to sixty two wins. His best player was either Paul Millsap or Al Horford. Outside of them, they had two other All Stars that year. You want know to guess who they are? Kyle Korver at thirty seven and Jeff Teague. If you don't think that Budenhoser is putting a lot of the skill sets that everybody does in the best possible situation to make sure that they're successful. I mean, Budenholzer has a record as being one of the best coaches in the league. I like Vogel. How did Vogel look in, in Orlando? Not, not great, right? And I like you know, the roster of the Lakers. I think they did a really good job. But outside of LeBron, who on that roster has had success? JaVale won a title with the, with the Warriors. Obviously, they were stacked. Danny Green has a couple titles. Danny Green is somebody that's obviously proven. And Ronda. Outside of that, Kuzma's really never done anything. AD won a playoff series, but he doesn't have the, the postseason success. And if you look at the numbers, statistically, he's been not very good in the fourth quarter. He's not top 60 scoring in the fourth quarter. Uh, top 60 in the NBA. So I think when we look at the argument, I have no problem with people saying Giannis should be the MVP because I agree. I agree Giannis should be the MVP. But when people are like, oh, should he be a unanimous MVP? This should be a runaway. Well, why are the Bucks 5-1 when he doesn't play? Why is that team, when he comes off the floor, not just falling apart like the Lakers do every time LeBron leaves the floor? I watched the Pelicans game the other night. Literally, I could count on my watch. Every time LeBron left the floor, they would give up eight points. And then, uh, like an eight-point lead would shrink and just evaporate. And then all of a sudden, LeBron would come back and they stretch the lead out to eight. And then it will evaporate when LeBron will go and rest. And, and, I mean, during the game, he was plus 22. They won the game by, I want to say, eight points. So I, that shows you, like, the difference of him being on the floor and not being on the floor. Um, I would compare Giannis, in reality, to Lamar Jackson with Greg Roman um, in, the, in the Ravens. Obviously, Greg Roman has the experience of being able to take a talent like uh, Lamar Jackson and be able to capitalize on his strengths and make him the superstar-type player, right? Uh, that's why he was the unanimous MVP this year. And I think that you can look at it and say, okay, well, how great is Lamar Jackson? And I think Lamar Jackson is great. Like I, I think Giannis is great. But you do have to ask the question. 
All right, he's in a system with three really good running backs, an excellent offensive line, and a fantastic defense with three legit tight ends that they can they can run out. And his problems typically are, are throwing outside the numbers. So you have three really good tight ends who can take advantage of middle field routes. And, and, and all of a sudden, now you know he, he's, he's the unanimous MVP of the league. Does that mean that Lamar Jackson is the most valuable player in the league? No, I'd probably say it's probably Russell Wilson. I'll probably tell you right now, no, this year I thought, I thought Lamar should have won the award. But I, I think if you were going to ask the question of who's the better or most valuable player to their team, I think if you took Lamar Jackson off of the Ravens and you replaced him with a competent quarterback, I think they're still really good. I think if you were replaced Russell Wilson with anybody outside of probably Deshaun Watson because of his experience, his experience of being able to avoid pass rushing, uh, you put anybody else in that team, I don't think you really, they really do anything. So uh, same way with Giannis. I think if you take Giannis and you replace him with another um, all-star caliber player, that team's still a high 50s team. I think LeBron, if you replaced him with another all-star caliber player with the Lakers, I think they're probably a playoff team, but they're probably around like what the Pelicans were the last few years with AD. Um, but moving on, here's a topic I really want to get into. Everybody's been telling me how good James Harden is, and James Harden is an amazing talent. James Harden does things on a basketball court that I've never seen before. He makes me go to the gym. I just love LA Fitness today. Got, got a nice little lather in, you know, but uh, he makes me go to LA Fitness and work on certain moves with step backs, Euro steps, uh, just things that I'm like, man, I like the way he implements that into the game. His game is really creative. And for me, who's not as athletic as I once was, not saying that I was once this, you know, ridiculous athlete, Euro steps, step backs, creating space is very important for a guy of my skill set. So I appreciate James Harden. But I have to say what needs to be said. Russell Westbrook is the best player on that roster right now. Nope, not joking. Russell Westbrook is the best player on the Rockets. Let's explain. First, I understand that with Westbrook, there's some limitations that he has. And because of those limitations, then you end up having to play a unconventional style. But I don't think that unconventional style had to be what the Rockets are doing. I think what the Rockets are doing right now is foolhardy. I think it's silly. I think what you do is you find bigs who can shoot threes. And if you find bigs that can shoot threes, then you can space the floor. You can keep Westbrook in attack mode. You can still do that. I thought that the most ideal trade for the Rockets would have been take Capella, trade him to the Cavs for Kevin Love. Because Kevin Love is looking to get out of his contract. The contracts are similar enough to be able to match up. And then you would have had a floor spacer who could shoot threes, also who could rebound. Now, obviously, he's injury prone, but he's somebody that could hit enough threes to where you don't have to go super small ball. Because what you're seeing right now is teams are pounding the Rockets. And although I think the Rockets are going to beat somebody in the first round, I think they're going to give some teams some problems. But they're getting pounded right now by the Clippers because of the fact that Clippers decided smartly, hey, let's just play zone defense. We can keep Zubak on the floor and we can keep Montrez Harrell on the floor if we play zone defense because in reality, we're going to force you guys to be able to hit a lot of three-pointers. And there's typically one player, maybe it's Westbrook, who, who's going to have to swing the ball around and we think we can recover quick enough and we have long enough wings to be able to do it. So then you get on the other end of the court, you get out-rebounded by 20 rebounds, Zubak and Montrez Harrell can pound the smaller guys and then you're in trouble. Uh, but back to the topic. When you watch them play, Westbrook's significantly more consistent with his scoring. He's significantly more efficient right now. I mean, he's, 
over the last 30 games, he's shooting over 50% from the field. Harden's never really going to be in that 50% range because he takes too many crazy step-back threes. And when he's, he's hitting that step-back three and he can have you on his hip because of the fact that you have to close out, then he's a nightmare. He can get by you. He can get layups. He can score at will. But when it's not falling, Harden's not significantly more athletic than the other guards that he's going against. And as much as he has a great, a great handle, if you sit on that left hand and force him to go right, he dribbles that ball off his knee or loses the ball significantly more when he has to go to that right hand. So I think if you look at them as players, everybody assumed because when Harden left OKC and went to the Rockets, the Rockets did well and he was able to win an MVP. They, oh, yeah, this proved that they should have. No, no. When they were with OKC, who was the second best player on the team? It wasn't Harden. It wasn't Harden. And Harden and Westbrook are literally months apart age-wise. So it's not like, oh, and one was just. Westbrook was the better player. Westbrook has an athleticism and an explosion that allows him to get easier baskets and allows him to be able to attack the rim at will. He's a better defender. I think as far as passing-wise, I would probably still go with Harden as a better passer. But Westbrook's a good passer as well. And it seems like with this role, he's developed and evolved into a more complete player and somebody that's not taking a whole lot of stupid shots with threes. I think if you're going to look at them in the playoffs, they're going to go as far as Westbrook is able to carry them. Right now... Westbrook's the only player, I'm watching the game versus the Clippers, he's the only player who's been able to get his shot consistently and to be able to score. Right now they're down 84-56, and uh, Westbrook just missed the layup. But with that being said, um, I think that that team, the, the, the main problem you're going to have is can you rely on Harden getting to the free throw line 30 times a game like he's going to need to in the playoffs? Because, or maybe not 30, but 16 to 20 times a game like you're going to need him to because if not – you're relying on a guy who can go extremely cold from three-point range and shoots a high volume of three-pointers. I mean, I've watched the guy miss 19 straight three-pointers in a playoff uh, series at one point. That's what you're relying on. Um, lastly, I do want to touch uh, – I haven't, haven't touched a ton on um, the NFL with the collective bargaining agreement. I do want to uh, speak a little bit about it, right? So – the NFL has kind of given they they've thrown out what they want from the CBA, and I think there's there's some split decisions between different players. Uh, some that want to sign the deal because obviously they want to keep their money, um, and then others that, that are looking at it and saying, "Hey, look, this is not a good deal for us." My recommendation: do not sign that deal right now. First off, you got a year and change before the collective bargaining agreement ends. I know you're concerned about losing money at that point, but there's no need to rush. Uh, and there are things that they're trying to add on. They're going to be detrimental for the players in the long term. First, I enjoy a 17th game. I, I mean, more football is better. I'm watching XFL and, and still, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it. But when you're looking at an extra 17th game and you're not giving an extra bye week, which means, so that's an extra game where, you know, because what they're not going to do is this. When you sign, when most players that sign their contracts, they got a, you know, if you signed a four years, $30 million deal, you're getting, in reality, you know, that four years, $30 million, so that's $15 million every two years, which means seven and a half every year, which means you're getting roughly $500,000 every 16 games. Well, that's 17th game. They're just splitting that check 17 ways. So it's not like they'd say, well, we were designing the contracts at the beginning for you to get, you know, this is one sixteenth of it. So it's not like that $30 million contract now becomes 
a 30 and a half, you know, 30, $32 million contract. So you get that extra half million. So you're essentially playing an extra free game, risking injury. Not to mention that the number two seed in the playoffs now will not get a buy uh, with these because of the fact that they want to get a, a, a extra wild card team in. So this extra wild card team is going to generate more revenue for the for the uh, the owners. It's going to give them an extra two wild card games to play for the, the playoffs, which is extra money that's going to be generated for the NFL. And they're still not giving them any extra money when it comes to that. Um, throw in the other things. You're you're losing some of the you know you had uh, beforehand. There was week four was kind of like a bye week before the regular season, week four of the preseason, because nobody really played their starters. But now because of the okay, we're gonna only play three preseason games. Well, now what? You're gonna you're gonna ramp up that quickly. So is game two gonna be the main one, and you set week three? Uh, there's there's gonna be less of an opportunity for players that have the potential to be NBA players, but don't have the experience to prove themselves because they're not going to have enough opportunities in preseason games to be able to capitalize on those, to be able to show, hey, look, I can make this play. I mean, we look at a lot of the Hall of Famers. I mean, Terrell Davis, Terrell Davis for the Broncos started as a special teamer in preseason and then had a big game, all of a sudden started getting some carries and turns into a Hall of Famer. So you never know how many of those players are not going to get those opportunities as well. Lastly, one of the biggest problems I have with the, with the agreement is you're still going to have all these extra practices. They, they didn't change like the practice um, rules. Are, they're going to be they're, they're They've supposedly shortened the amount of practices, but they didn't shorten the amount of on the field activities that they have. Um, and another thing that they've done, which I thought was a terrible. So back in the day when everybody was so afraid that the NFL was going to go bankrupt or teams were going to go bankrupt, there was a, a clause inside the contracts that stated that if and if you were going to sign a player to over a $2 million deal, once you hit that threshold, then you had to put that money in escrow. The owner had out of his personal pockets, had to take the money, put it in escrow so that the player would be guaranteed to have that money available. Well, guys, Every franchise in the NFL right now is worth probably over a billion dollars. So we don't really have the thought process that any of you guys are going to go bankrupt. But what they did was they put a stipulation in, in place now to where if you go, uh, if, if you want to sign a player after, let's say, 17 million of guaranteed money for the team, not the player, then the rest of that money has to be put in escrow by the owners. Well, the reason they can do that is it gives them a little bit more leverage to say, okay, well, I would love to give you this guarantee money. Well, we just don't have the owner. The owner is not going to be able to put this money in escrow and to try to squeeze the players to take a lesser deal than what they could get. Also, they put in new stipulations where if you hold out, then you're mandated to have the fines. You cannot have those fines rescinded to, to try to keep the players to, to stay in those contracts. And then the last part of it is, even if you wanted to get, you know, even if you wanted to get go to free agency, they still didn't change anything with the, fr the franchise tag. If you are a player in the NFL, the franchise tag is one of the worst tools you have because it limits your ability to hit the open market to be able to drive up the cost. Because and the, the the number one thing you learn in business is supply and demand, and you are worth what somebody is willing to pay for you. So if I'm a I'm a free safety and my team wants to keep me and the average free safety gets 12 million a year well hey we slap a franchise tag on me for the next two years i may make 12 this year 18 next year but if i was what troy, troy palomalo or ed reed and i was a generational type safety 
Now, they probably wouldn't get that treatment, but if, if, if they didn't, let's say if you're a Le'Veon Bell, for instance, with the running backs, or like the, the Cowboys are probably about to do with Dak. Dak hits the open market. Dak gets $40 million. I know you guys think I'm tripping. I, I'm not a huge, huge fan of Dak. If Dak hit the open market today, Dak would get $40 million a year. But they can throw the franchise, the exclusive franchise tag on, which is a little better than the regular one, but still gets them only $33 million. It's a one-year deal. It forces them to go back out, prove himself again. It also gives them the opportunity to possibly get hurt. I think the collective bargaining agreement that's being proposed is ridiculous. Do not sign it. Do not sign it. Wait, wait, wait. And... Guys, I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. You can check us out on at Amibros Podcast at uh, on Twitter. You can check us out at uh, on Instagram at, at Amibros underscore podcast, and you can check us out on Facebook.com forward slash the Amibros. Obviously, check us out on any place you can get your podcast: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, the Amibros. You can check us out on YouTube and check check us out on Podbean, a lot of other places. And I'm out. As I mentioned, we are not having our normally scheduled podcast this week. We will be dropping another one next week, and I'm out. Oh, last thing. I know I keep going through some stuff. The Lakers are going to beat the Bucks and the Clippers this weekend, Friday and Sunday. But if LeBron beats Giannis and they and it looks impressive and then beats the Clippers, it's going to be a debate. Giannis better close the door now. As much as I tell people, there's momentum Everybody was like, oh, Joe Biden has no chance. Bernie's going to win the bid. And then there is momentum. All it takes is one. This is LeBron's weekend. I would tell you if you can get to any place where you can bet the overs on LeBron, bet the overs. He came out today and said he doesn't, he doesn't care about winning the MVP. It's not important to him. Believe me, LeBron in year 17 wants to win the MVP. He will put up a monster game in both of those two games. So be prepared. All right, y'all. I'm out. Peace. Peace.